Hi, everyone. Welcome to Humane Voices, the official podcast of the Humane Society of the United States. Carrie and Austin here for another really exciting episode. We're here to talk Spayathon and our work to combat animal welfare crisis in Puerto Rico as well as at home. So today, our special guest on the show is Tara Lawler, the Senior Director of Strategic Campaigns for the Humane Society of the United States. Tara, thank you so much for sitting down and chatting with us today. Uh, we're really excited to talk with you about this initiative. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here and talk to you all. Yeah. Yay. Yeah. So uh, one of the things that I want to do get you to talk about a little bit before we get into sort of the details of Spayathon, it's so having been in the field for, you know, 20 years since I was a zygote, I, uh, I know that there's a lot of stuff around this, this issue of spay neuter. It's like, you know, it's one of those things that's kind of entered our broader culture and everybody's heard the term spay neuter, but I think a lot of the times the need for it and the why kind of still gets a little bit lost. And so I, I was hoping you could talk a little bit about, you know, why spay neuter it continues to be this sort of drumbeat in the animal welfare world, why it matters. So spay neuter is really at the heart of many of the animal welfare issues, whether it's overpopulation or um, things that lead to neglect when somebody might have too many in their own home. Um, and it's really the focus of what has been the later part of my career now and spaying and neutering as many animals in need and providing that access to care. So obviously this you know, decreases the number of animals that go into shelters um, and also decreases the number of animals that ultimately can be euthanized. Um, and most right, of so it's a lifesaver, basically. Absolutely, yeah, it's like it's people, not, that's the thing that people sometimes miss. I feel like yeah, and I think that you know, especially in the continental U.S., we've gotten you know so into other aspects of animal welfare that might be a little bit more flashy mm -hmm. and you know exciting. But at the at the crux of the issue is is spay neuter really still needs to be of our uh, utmost of attention, and that's something that I really feel passionate about. And so, Tara, was that a, really, I mean, the later part of your work, what led into this inspiration for this amazing initiative? And, and for those who aren't familiar with it, what is Spayathon? So Spayathon is my ultimate animal welfare baby. So it was something that I kind of dreamed about the first moment that I stepped in Puerto Rico, because you saw this abundant amount of animals in the streets, um, a lot, a lot of suffering and 95% of the population entering into the shelters ultimately were euthanized. So it was something that when I first stepped in that island in 2014, I'm like, if we could just do mass sterilization someday. Um, and, uh, you know, fortunately, unfortunately, after Hurricane Maria, the opportunity came to create something big and never done before. So Spayathon is ultimately um, multiple teams operating at once across the island and providing uh, spay-neuter, high-quality, high-volume spay-neuter services and vaccines for free in different parts of the island. So essentially, it's bringing in volunteer vets and techs from all over the world. They donate their time, and then they're combined with local ground teams that really are like the front of the house, and they do all of the uh, really community outreach. So it's kind of this giant team that comes together for the good of the animals and the people. 
So Tara, can you talk a little bit about, you know, like what's caused the issue in Puerto Rico? I mean, I remember when I first started here that I would talk to people at, at shelters around the country and especially in the South, um, South part of the U.S., where they would talk about when they were growing up that, you know, the sort of animal overpopulation issue was just so enormous. Mm-hmm. And it, at, at the time for, the, I think, a lot of those communities, it was like a lack of infrastructure, a lack of funding. I mean, like yeah. what are the things that are sort of generating it on the island? So as the continental U.S. progressed in animal welfare, Puerto Rico was left off of that uh, radar. And they did not receive the training, they did not receive the resources, and they certainly did not have like the infrastructure to get there. Um, So that was one of the first things I noticed, you know, we needed to do a quick catch up. So when I first started working down there, we started a program called Humane Puerto Rico, which basically inundated Puerto Rico with all of the HSUS programs that we could possibly bring in to try to catch them up to speed and get them to, you know, have a better, you know, foot to go forward in. in Mm -hmm. That's one of the reasons they essentially were not given the same uh, resources as in the continental U.S. Wow. Yeah. I really wanted to tackle it either. A lot of the animal welfare folks that I talked to said that um, some of the other national orgs, you know, they tiptoed into it and then they saw the big problem and they backed right out. And it's a massive, massive undertaking. Mm. I think I learned a lot in the last, you know, few years of uh, fortitude and grit. Mm. Big, um, but it's definitely the, I, I feel like it's like the most important work of my life. Yeah. So one of the things, Tara, that I've I've noticed over my time in the field is like over over the years, I would hear a lot of groups doing sort of um, like taking dogs away from the island, you know, and it seems like your approach has been a little bit different. And can you talk a little bit about like why you didn't think, I mean, I've, I've seen people like groups try to take it on like that, that feels like, okay, we can we can rescue a few dogs, we can help a few dogs, but you were trying to get it kind of like a more root issue, right? Yeah, yeah. And I I can certainly appreciate, you know, when you have little eyes looking you straight in the face that Mm, mm -hmm. I get that I, I don't, you know, not support that. But at the end of the day, it's a, it's a bandaid and it needed something um, a little bit bigger and sustainable. And so that's why Spayathon was really created to really give them the leg up and give the local vets the capacity to start at a place that was, you know, doable and for them to take it over once we are finished Spayathon and have a chance to kind of dig out and mm. really just develop, you know, different ways to work together. And, and that's a lot of the things that I think that we've brought to the island too, just getting the groups to work together, whether that's, you know, rescue groups, because the problem has been so immense, you know, it causes a lot of stress on the humans. And, you know, even when we were doing training starting off, we had, a lot of people coming up, you know, after our trainings and thanking us saying, you know, when we did compassion fatigue training down there too, that some of them admitted that they were close to suicide mm-hmm. and this really helped them feel not alone. So it was staggering, like, you know, and even when we trained law enforcement, the first couple times down there, officers were showing up two hours before and staying two hours after just to get time with our trainers because they never had those resources before. Um, so that was huge because nowhere in the continental U.S. does that happen. I can promise you that. Um, they might stay for 15 minutes and, you know, get some questions in, but they were really thirsty for knowledge and really, really appreciative, which has um, made us feel really passionate about the island. I know the, the, a lot of the HSUS staff that have come down have really uh, fallen in love with the people and, mm-hmm. the, and, and the work itself. 
On the topic of root causes here, Tara, that we're talking about, we mentioned overpopulation and other issues here. Something that sticks out to me about this program is we're talking about socioeconomic issues yeah. here as well. So it's not like people who are in these underserved communities don't want to help their animals. They, mm -hmm. they just simply don't have access, right? Yeah. Yeah, so a lot of, I, I uh, use some of my social media platforms to really stay connected to a lot of people that I've met, whether that's just in passing or become really close with. And, you know, frankly, they'll say I make $200 a month. So I'm getting a spay neuter surgery or feeding my kids, you know, they're of course gonna have to feed their kids and rightfully so. So it was something I was really adamant about, and there's there's lots of opinions in the field whether spay neuter should be free if you can give it for free, and I think if someone wants to wait in a line and provide a service for their animal, they clearly love the animal. It's not our job or place to judge on their income level. It's our job to, as you know, a leading animal welfare organization, to provide a service that we know how to do well. Um, so I think, you know. Puerto Rico has a large percentage of the population under the poverty line, and that's a huge cause of it. So um, it was also one of the reasons why the shelters, you know, we saw so many animals that were born in a home and then were abandoned on the streets um, because the people thought they were giving the animal a chance. So it's also like lack of education on what happens to that animal when it goes out on the street. It doesn't actually have a fighting chance because uh, especially dogs, puppies are a little bit less resilient uh, than cats per se. Mm -hmm. So you see a lot of really in bad shape animals that uh, we could judge as outsiders of, you know, just having a different circumstance in our own life of choices. There's, there's not many choices there. So I think we want to provide as many good options as possible. Yeah, and I think that thing with people abandoning animals, it happens, you know, in stateside as well, because there's just sort of, there's so many misconceptions about animal shelters um, yes. in both places where, you know, like, especially in the States, there's always this sort of like, oh, if I bring it to the shelter, the animal will end up euthanized. Yeah. And so sometimes people just release the animal and there are places where, you know, maybe that is going to work a little bit better than others. Um, yeah. But yeah. Yeah, that's definitely something that uh, we also have worked with the shelters. We have a shelter medicine program that runs uh, concurrent to Spayathon and really helping the shelters get out into the community more mm. so and be that friendly face um, and not a place that's scary to the, to the public. I'm curious, Terry, how many surgeries have been performed to date? Do you know that number? We are roughly over 54,000 um, spay neuters and vaccines. Wow done so yes so congratulations yeah yeah that's, that's amazing so tara do you have a sense can you talk a little bit about you know i mean i know you guys have done this the surgeries but it, it sounds like you've also figured out ways to make sure that kind of the resources and the networks that you have built while you've been there kind of stay in place if this program mm -hmm. ever stops yeah so at the end of the initiative we will be giving over all of the equipment and resources to the local veterinary population we have two teams that are Puerto Rican teams that work within, and then all the ground teams are Puerto Rican teams. So they will be rewarded in, in the equipment, the resources um, at the end of the initiative. And during this, we have, with one of our coalition partners, uh, provided training to over 100 vets and techs in high-quality, high-volume spay-neuter techniques. So that increases the capacity and also the proficiency in that type of surgery in the hopes that it will lead to more sustainable programs on the island. Right, totally, and that the locals will totally own it, which is terrific. 
Yeah. That's with the support cool. of uh, yeah. with government support too, that it's it's pretty spectacular how on both fronts you have this this coordination that you did with in conjunction with it with a large government too. Yes, yes. So sometimes I think there's you know silos. Uh, Spayton is a good example in my in my mind of what happens when government and nonprofit and and profits come together for one cause. We were lucky to have a governor's office that was keen on helping animal welfare during uh, Hurricane Maria and knew that they had a huge, huge problem for decades at that point. So this is just an opportune time to build something big. And uh, we did have to fight to, you know, keep it going and to make sure that people believe that we could do it. Um, but once people saw, you know, the first first round, they fell in love. And we had back mm. there on out. Speaking of Hurricane Maria, Tara, I mean, Puerto Rico's kind of gotten hammered repeatedly and is always kind of in that hurricane zone. And they've had earthquakes there too. Has that impacted the work? Yeah, so there's different parts of the island that now have um, have earthquakes on top of the, the the fear of hurricanes during the seasons and things like that. So we actually, prior to the, the larger ones that happened down in the Ponce area, we were in that area operating. So it's now it's just part of our decision making when we're looking at venues to be careful where we're sending teams and things like that. So it does come into play, um, but there's other ways that we can help those specific areas that are more prone to the earthquakes um, in vouchers that we do in between rounds too. So we do vouchers in the summer. So that's normally hurricane season. So we don't send teams in there because of the variable of us not being able to travel safely. Um, so during that time that we really try to target those areas that might be um, ones that we can't necessarily get to safely. Mm. Have you seen changes on the island since you first started going there? I've seen the rescue groups really come together. Uh, they have really, uh, they had protests in, in honor of animals. You know, it's, something that's a hot topic in the news mm -hmm. quite often in Puerto Rico. I don't think that we see that in any other state in the country uh, like we have there. People really are passionate about it. If you know mm -hmm. about Puerto Rico, they have big hearts and they are adamant on um, making sure that the animals get a voice also. So I really have seen that come together. I've seen the veterinary population identify the problem and want to be part of the solution a little bit more. Mm -hmm. And then they've been really appreciative, you know, of HSUS and our partners. And I think, you know, a lot of times, you know, people that come into Puerto Rico might make up big promises and not deliver. And I think that we've kept our word and really, you know, shown that our heart and our minds are there. And, you know, we've developed huge friendships that will last far beyond this program. Mm. Yeah, that's so true. I think that's, that's the case in so many programs where you're working in a community that's been kind of neglected by people who should have been providing resources, yes. um, that if you yes. don't continue to show up, that that just kind of the trust just it has to be built. Exactly. Yes. What's pretty incredible, too, is that you, your team hasn't just, um, you know, wiped your hands clean, said, okay, this project is done. We're moving on. You've created a transition plan that is really going to create a sustainable way for this initiative to keep going, which is mm -hmm. pretty, it's very admirable. It's very exciting that this program is going to keep going. In the same vein, you have begun another initiative that your team has been working on called Spade Together that is a little bit closer to home. So can you talk a little bit about Spade Together and how that's different or the same than Spayathon? 
Yeah, so Spay Together has the same type of idea of coalitions make big things happen. And mm -hmm. same idea that people um, at heart, I believe, want to be part of something bigger than themselves. So just like Spayathon, Spay Together has over 25 organizations that came together for um, COVID type relief, uh, basically to help the stateside shelters and clinics across the country catch up on spay neuter services. So it's a stimulus fund. It also provides resources and training um, and also just assistance on the ground, um, the how to's to operate in a pandemic and, and mm. this type of surgery um, and outreach to the public is done safely. So that program also so is over 60,000 animals spayed, neutered, and vaccinated, um, and over 225 uh, organizations helped nationwide. Every state got some type of funding, about 2.5 million, including donations of product too. That's awesome. So the reason for the catch-up was because they, it was because the, the, it had been determined as sort of non-essential service, right? And yes, and a lot of the places needed to donate PPE. Uh, to human services. Yeah. So we saw that, but quickly as of uh, June, the country was over a quarter million behind in spay neuter services, which oh. obviously wow. starts impacting quickly the likelihood of euthanasia going up in all places that might not have had that typically. Um, one thing that we did see positively in COVID is so many people fostering, failing mm. adoption. Uh, but this was kind of our outreach to those that are boots on the ground that still needed to do the work, but might not be receiving as many donations um, or have access to keep their work going without our funds. So we wanted to quickly unite. And um, I feel like my biggest strength as an animal welfare person is that I love team and mm -hmm. coalitions and running them and, uh, I will also pester folks until they want part of our team and <laughs> the funds. So we we acted pretty quickly, and and uh, team is is rocking it, and our coalition partners are doing a great job. So we should be finishing that up uh, with the the final report to the donors in in November. And there's a there's a cool little tool to to track all of the work that's that's going on currently. Yeah. Uh, how many? surgeries and everything that we're doing, right? Yeah, yeah. So that's on um, animalsheltering.org. And, and that's also basically every organization that receives funds are entering their surgeries live. Wow. Also gives you the stats of whether that's a community animal, a shelter animal, male, female, and dog and cat. So I love that. That's actually um, something that we uh, really, really take pride in because then our donors can easily click to see where their funds are going and see that the numbers are coming in fast. So it's exciting. It's exciting to us at, at the beginning when it was the first like 5,000, I was watching this ticker 17 times a day. It was so I've gotten a little bit better. I only twice now. Um, but that was a, a fun little thing. And I think it, it also was cool to see the different states kind of being a bit competitive. Um, we had eight target states in this in this program, uh, ones that we knew had a, a higher intake number into shelters um, and possibly less vets working on it. So there was definitely certain states that got more funding, but we wanted to make sure that every state got some type of funding and play fair as we could be. 
Yeah, it's really cool seeing that tracker. Every time I see it, it's like you're looking at the numbers of lives saved kind of going up. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's that's pretty cool. I'm, you know, that's it, we can always talk about how many surgeries are done, but then, you know, the end result of how many lives were saved in the first year alone that, you know, didn't get produced and possibly euthanized is, is I feel like my heart's uh, goal in, in this work. So Tara, I think we need to talk to you a little bit about your next big alpaca project. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I, I, I definitely hope Kitty Block is listening. Because I, I'm obsessed with alpacas. After, <laughs> after my trip to go see a beautiful farm that had a baby alpaca when I pulled up and I fully documented it with no less than 200 photos. Uh, and one, one of them, happened to like to snuggle it was like oh my god yeah wow so baby sloths and alpacas are my jam yeah yeah so everybody listening should know that if you have any intent on helping cute animals uh tara's claimed all of those so you have to go for the less cute animals now so just be prepared yes yeah i'm totally game it's gonna be great i can't wait um So Tara, I'm sure in all of the work with Spayathon that you've had some really impactful stories. What are some that stand out to you? So Spayathon is something that I have the same reaction every night before our our round starts off. So every night, uh, right before the round, I text all of our, our leads and I'm like, I hope the lines are full. And every single time they write back, uh, go away. They're always full because the first round I was so nervous that no one would show up. Uh, but contrary to my worry, we had thousands of people show up, not only show up, but show up in the middle of the night, sleep outside just to get a spot in line. And I mean, when I first saw it, I had like tears rolling down my cheeks, not because I wanted to see all of those people so desperate for the services but it was so inspiring and it was kind of just all that hard work had paid off because it was proof, you know, that if you build it, they will come. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had beautiful stories and there's beautiful stories every single time, but there's a couple that just stick out to me. Um, this one elderly man, I think he was 78 years old. He told us that he kind of like Jerry rigged this crate to his bike and he pedaled 20 miles in the middle of the night to get a spot in line. And it was because he he said that his dog was what helped him get through Hurricane Maria and the aftermath. And he wanted to stand by him, like Mm -hmm. stood by him during Hurricane Maria. So of course, you know, puddles, like the whole team. (laughs) Um, And then there's just like other other amazing stories where, you know, a lot of times the person who's first in line, they they got in line maybe 8 p.m. the night before. So they have now been up for quite a long time. But instead, what you know, many of us would do after our animal goes back to surgery, you know, take a cat nap, things like that. We've seen them, you know, picking up brooms, making coffee, you know, running back, and just figuring out how to be helpful on, you know, on our clinic sites and things like that. So really, like the best parts of humans come out in these events. Mm-hmm. I think that's always something that you know the news covers all of these horrible things that are going on in the world and all this hatred and spayathon is like a breath of fresh air of people being kind and just really you know what it should be in my opinion so there's many examples and it's really something that when our team is getting up at 4:35 in the morning to get ready 
there's not one complaint. Um, I always do joke, there's not, there's only been one person that has complained about the lines uh, at Spayathon because we run so many different clinics and that person wasn't from Puerto Rico. They were actually from the States and I always think that's so, <laughs> so I take it with a grain of salt, you know, but everybody else is always really happy and appreciative. Wow. That's wonderful. Tara, thank you so much. This has been really an amazing conversation. Thanks for chatting with us. Tara Lawler, Senior Director of Strategic Campaigns for the Humane Society of the United States. Um, that's all we have for today's show. To find out more info about how we're continuing to help both the animals and communities of Puerto Rico and the United States, you know where to find us, humanesociety.org. Or to check out the really cool tracking tool that we were talking about, head to animalsheltering.org slash spay together. Thank you so much for joining us and see you next time on Humane Voices. Hi, everybody. Thank you.